Okay, these uh, Sunday mornings, we're working our way through the book of 2 Timothy. Please come with me in, our Bible, in your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's where we're going to go, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we're reading verses 1 through to verse 9. That's 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through to 9. This is God's word. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. Just as Janes and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men oppose the truth, men of depraved minds, who as far as the faith is concerned are rejected. But they are not but they will not get very far, because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. Amen. Here's the title of this study this morning. The title's going to come up on the screen. The Terrible Times Are Here. The Terrible Times Are Here. Someone has described the evening news as the program where the announcer says good evening and then proceeds to tell you why it's not a good evening. Here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 9, Paul is reminding Timothy, and he's reminding the flock of God's people in Ephesus, where Timothy is the pastor, of why, in a sense, it's not a good evening. Hard times are coming. In fact, to be more exact, the terrible times are here. And before we this morning get into the bulk of this teaching in these first nine verses of 2 Timothy chapter 3, there are two little phrases or words that I want to unpack from verse 1 that give us something of the flavor of the context of this passage that we're going to study this morning. The first word is that word terrible in verse 1. If you're reading in the NIV, it goes like this, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. Ironically, the original word behind that word terrible that Paul uses to Timothy is only found in one other place in the New Testament in its entirety. And that's in Matthew 8, 28 where the same word is used to describe two men who were demon-possessed, who lived in the region of the Gadarenes. 
People literally avoided these two guys because they were terrible. There in Matthew chapter 8, in some translations, the word is fierce is used, and in other translations, the word savage is used. So that's the word picture. So Paul is saying, Timothy, the terrible times are here, and these times are going to be fierce. These times are going to be pretty savage for those that are followers, for those whose allegiance is with Jesus Christ. But there's another phrase that gives us a little bit of the flavor of this passage. And again, it's found in verse 1. Look at verse 1. But mark this, there, terrible ti- there will be terrible times in the last days. People love to talk about the last days, don't they? And let me make it very clear, Jesus Christ is coming again. I believe that passionately. And I believe planet earth has not seen the last of Jesus Christ. He will come again, certain day of certain days. But to take this phrase, the last days, and to use it in its biblical usage, let me tell you what it meant in the Bible. The last days in the Bible referred to the period of time from Christ's ascension to the day when he will come back again. So folks, we are living in the last days. Two important phrases that we need to get a flavor of And I feel we'll get a flavor of this passage. Look at the first point this morning. Paul's message is, Timothy, buckle up. Double trouble is coming. Timothy, buckle up. Double trouble is coming. And if you have your Bible open there, you will notice in verse 2 through really to verse 5, there's a whole list of characteristics of people in the last days. Let's see two specific things from this passage. Here's the first one. Point A, the character of religious fakes. The character of religious fakes. Now you look at those 18 or 19 characteristics of these people who sadly are not genuine and what have they all got in common? Let's try and pull them all together. Here's what I believe they've got in common. They are a picture of a person who has got King Self on the throne of their hearts. This is a picture of people who have got King Self reigning on the throne of of their hearts. I want to ask you as you sit under God's word this morning, is it King Self who's on the throne? Or is it King Jesus who is on the throne? But look at verse 2. People will be lovers of themselves. Let's just stop there. I was looking at the commentary by John MacArthur. And let me quote what he says in that commentary. The quotation will come up on the screen. He says, the pride of self-love might be called the sewer out of which the rest of these ugly sins are discharged, unquote. Many people today love to use the word me and my. My rights, 
my feelings, my views, my opinions. It's all about the big me. And when love for self is elevated, love for Jesus is lower down the list. People will be lovers of themselves. And then notice the next thing he says, lovers of money. Now bear in mind that in first century Ephesus where Timothy was ministering, it was a wealthy seaport. And obviously the love of money and the love of possessions was a real problem in this church that Timothy was ministering in. But remember, the love of money really flows from the love of self. People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Look at the next word, the word boastful. In the original language, it's not very complimentary in the original language, it really means windbags. Windbags are those that brag. You've met people like that. They love to tell you the latest thing they've bought. They love to tell you what they're up to. They love to brag about self. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. As if that isn't bad enough, look at the next verse. Without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal. Let's stop at the word brutal for a wee moment. Brutal means people who are controlled by their base instincts. You look at the humor today in Ireland and you will see something that's pretty base, pretty depraved, pretty awful. You can tell a lot about a person. You can tell a lot about a nation by what makes them laugh. But verse 4 sums it all up. Look at verse 4. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of money. Did you notice in verse 4, Paul doesn't say lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. But he says lovers of pleasure more than or rather than lovers of God. He uses the word rather than. It could literally be translated like this, pleasure lovers rather than God lovers. Let's just stop there. If you want a description of Ireland in the 20th of February, 2020, that's it. Pleasure lovers rather than God lovers. For so many, they don't want to live by any rules, no moral absolutes, no restraints. And it's the God of hedonism, the God of pleasure that people pursue passionately. And you know, in light of biblical prophecy, In light of biblical prophecy, we should expect that as we get near to the time for the personal return of Jesus Christ, all these things mentioned in this passage will happen with both increasing frequency and intensity. In fact, Jesus alluded to this. If you read Matthew chapter 24, 
where he talks about what it's going to be like when he comes, which is before he comes back again. He says in Matthew 24, verse 22, if those days had not been cut short, no one would have survived. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. The character of religious fakes. But he goes on a little further. And stay with me, the good news is coming. He goes on a little further. Look at point B, the craftiness, the craftiness of these religious fakes. Look at how he describes them in verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power of it. In the last days, there will be religious fakes who masquerade as Christian teachers. Paul has already referred to that earlier on in this letter in 2 Timothy 2 verse 17. But look what these religious fakes are going to get up to. Look at verse 6. They are the kind who worm their way into homes. I was digging behind this passage. And one of the commentators I was reading was telling us this word worm their way into people's homes. It was used back in the first century to describe the sun setting. Something that happened slowly, but it definitely did happen. And it's the same sort of thing. These people, these false teachers, worm their way slowly and subtly into people's lives. Heresy and falsehood and lies. They don't come knocking on the front door of the believer's life. They sneak in the back door. They sneak in so subtly. They come again and again until so often they worm their way into our lives. They are the kind who worm their way into our homes. And then he uses a strange expression, and gain control over weak-willed women. The words weak-willed literally refers to people whose minds and hearts and wills have not been sufficiently strengthened and fortified by the truths of God's Word. That's the picture. And the consequences, they're a soft touch. They're easy prey for the spiritual deceivers. It was the same sort of people that Paul spoke about in Ephesians 4 verse 14 when he talks about people being blown around by every wind of doctrine. You know people like that. When the latest spiritual fad comes along, they chase after it with all of their heart rather than going to God's Word and asking the question, well, what does God's Word say about this thing? That's why it's so important that we have our minds, our hearts, our whole being enlightened by the truth of God's Word. But notice what he says in verse 8. Just as Janes and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men opposed the truth. Men of depraved mind who are far, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. Now who is uh, Janes and Jambres in verse 8? 
the writer Paul is referring to the Jewish tradition that named these two guys as the leaders of the Egyptian magicians who opposed Moses back in Exodus chapter 7 through to chapter 9. And how did they oppose Moses? They performed counterfeit plagues. For instance, when Moses turned the river into blood and called forth the plague of frogs, the Egyptian magicians were able to do likewise. What is this telling us? Let's waken up and smell the coffee. This is what is telling us. The devil is the great counterfeiter. The devil is a faker. And let's remember that he appears so subtly as an angel of light. Time and time again, I get these lovely emails from somebody in another part of the world because they must get my email address from some church database somewhere. They know I'm a pastor of a church. And you know what they're offering to do? They're offering to make a a million dollars. They're usually American. A million dollars donation to the church. Brilliant stuff. All I have to do is send them my personal bank details. That's all I have to do, and I will have a million dollars in my bank account. And they come weekly. They come again and again. And it's an awful thing to be scammed. And I meet people who have been scammed, have been taken in. I meet people who literally have lost their life savings because of scams. But listen, let me tell you something that's worse than losing your life saving. It's losing your soul to somebody who is a spiritual fake, who is sowing error and something that's not true. Paul is saying, Timothy, waking up and smell the coffee, Timothy. The terrible times, Timothy, are here. There's double trouble coming, Timothy. And it's coming because of the character and the craftiness of these religious fakes. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. Let's move on to the second point this morning. Let me try, with God's help, to encourage you. Some blessings that sustain authentic believers even in terrible days. Look at verse 9. We glimmer of hope in verse 9. Look at the last verse of this passage. But they will not get very far. Because as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. Let me put it in everyday language. Paul is saying, Timothy, don't panic. Evil has its limits. The devil often overstretches himself. Let me read to you verse 9 in another translation. But nothing will come of these latest imposters. Everyone will see through them just as people saw through the Egyptian hoaxes. God is absolutely sovereign. Listen, God has the devil on a lead today and God knows the length of the lead and God will let the devil go so far and no further. And the amazing thing is that God can even use the devil for his glory, and the devil will shoot himself in the foot. Here's three take-home blessings for us this morning. Look at the first one with me. Look at point A. Christ has promised that he will build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail 
against it. Let's be encouraged by that truth today. There's a message of hope, even in days of darkness. The spirit of the last days is not stronger than the power of Jesus. Timothy needed to hear that. And we too need to hear that. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. What does Jesus say? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Even if in Afghanistan, where it's as dark as night, where it's an awful place, the hardest place in the world to be a Christian, he is still going to build his church and the gates of hell the Taliban, the devil, Islam, whatever is thrown against them will not have the last word. Let's remember that. Here's the second thing. We can sharpen our spiritual discernment by lapping up every ounce of spiritual truth. So many professing Christians around today who sadly are gullible spiritually. I was hearing a true story of, a, of a, a workplace up in the north where a new guy started, and some of the guys had a great sense of humor, and they always took a hand out of the, the new guy. They always sent the new guy to do something absolutely ridiculous to see if they would do it. And this new guy started in this workplace up in Northern Ireland, and he was a little bit gullible. And one day, uh, one of the guys that had been in the business for a long time, who had a real sense of humor, sent this guy out to get a tin of paint. Go to the local hardware shore shop and get a tin of paint. And he said, well, what color of paint do I get? And the guy who had a bit of humor said, go and get a tin of stripe paint. And the guy literally went to the hardware shop and asked for a tin of striped paint. Many people are gullible. Many Christians are gullible. 1 John 4 verse 1 says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. How can we sharpen our spiritual discernment? The answer is... Lap up every ounce of this book. Lap up God's word. God's word is truth. Jesus said that in John 17, verse 17. Your word is truth. We never outgrow our need for Scripture. If you want to sharpen your spiritual sense of discernment, if you want to sharpen your spiritual senses, lap up every ounce of God's truth. Make sure daily... You're taking in God's word. And here's the third blessing that will sustain us in difficult times. Make sure that Christ is still our first love. I said the root problem when we were back in the early verses of this chapter is really summed up in verse 4. People will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Ironically, 30 years or so after Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy, Jesus wrote to the church in Ephesus. 
And it's found in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. Listen to what Christ's rebuke to the church in Ephesus is. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Do you know what the greatest need of lost Kilkenny is? That this church would be in our first love for Jesus. That is the greatest need of lost Kilkenny. And let me ask the question, has Kilkenny Presbyterian Church forsaken her first love? You're maybe saying, what's my first love? Your first love for Jesus was the love you had for Jesus in those early days after the Lord saved you. Do you remember those early days? There was no fear. There was no inhibitions. You just went for it. You just talked to everybody about Jesus. You prayed in public. You read the Bible. There was nothing seemed to hold you back. I want to ask every Christian here, are we living in our first love? What's the hope of Kilkenny? It's when this church lives for Jesus in her first love. Have we lost it? Have you lost your your honeymoon love, if I can use that analogy? Your honeymoon love you had for Jesus in those early days. Is first love for Jesus the throbbing lifeblood of this church? When I look at the infrequent church attendance of, of those that claim to love Jesus here in this church, I sadly have to conclude that many have lost their first love. When I look around our prayer meetings, I sadly have to conclude that many have lost our first love. And Kilkenny doesn't need a lukewarm church. The city of Kilkenny doesn't need this Presbyterian church to have lost our first love. The city of Kilkenny needs Christians who are on their first love for Jesus because then we'll be salt, then we'll be light, then we'll be effective for Jesus. Folks, the terrible times are here. I say it with the deepest of respect. It's time for the church of Jesus Christ in Ireland to waken up spiritually and smell the coffee. The terrible times are here. And what's the hope? What's the hope? Do we, do we hibernate? Do we crawl into a hole until next Sunday and hide behind these four walls, so to speak, and let Kilkenny go to hell without Jesus? Do we do that? No, we don't. We get on our knees before the Lord and we say, Lord, I've lost something. Lord, I've lost my first love. And Lord, I'm not getting off my knees until I get it back again. I need back my first love for Jesus. Where's the blessedness I knew when first I saw the Lord? Where is the soul-refreshing view of Jesus and His word. I tell you, first love is not for those who are OTT, over the top spiritually. First love, I'm convinced, is the normal Christian life, or it should be the normal Christian life. 
the terrible times, they are here. And yet I believe they're exciting times. They are exciting times because, folks, we need the Lord. We cannot make any impact on this city of Kilkenny, on Ireland today, that is pleasure mad. We cannot make any impact on it unless we're living in our first love for Jesus. So zeal and passion and enthusiasm is not for those who just call themselves Pentecostal in their theology. It's the normal, hear me, it's the normal, it's the normal Christian experience. How dare, how dare I be anything other than living on my first love for Jesus when I think of all that Jesus has done for me. The terrible times are here. Watch the news. Read the papers. And let's rise to the challenge. Rise to the challenge. In spring, as spring comes in 2022, let's rise to the challenge and go to the lost and go to this city and go to this nation again and tell them that there's one called Jesus and he's the hope, the one hope, the only hope for Ireland and the United Kingdom and Europe and the world. Do we believe that? Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that? I trust we do. And I trust that if we've lost our first love, we will endeavor to get it back again at the cross. The terrible times are here.